Well, as you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, Chris has been going through this series called Proverbs That Make Sense, and I decided I'd, I'd tag along with him and do a few Proverbs as well. And so this morning, we're going to uh, dive right into the book. Um, and, and the book of Proverbs is a pretty cool book. If you, uh, if you become a Christian, or at least when I first became a Christian, it was one of the first books I, I started reading. How many of you are on the same page as that? When you first became a Christian, Proverbs was one of the first books you read. Yeah? Um, and I guess it's because there's 31 chapters and, you know, read a chapter a month or a chapter a day for a month. It makes sense. But it's also because uh, the book of Proverbs is a really easy to understand book, isn't it? I mean, it, it, the, the, the way that it's written, it's all these little sayings that are just easy to digest. There's not a lot of, um, you know, mental gymnastics that need to be applied. You don't have to do all sorts of historical legwork or, you know, hermeneutical exercises to figure out the, the, the real meaning behind these sayings. They're, they're pretty straightforward. And so you'll read something like uh, Proverbs 3.41. And I don't know if they got to... Anyway, Proverbs 3.31 says something like, Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. Well, that's pretty straightforward, right? Don't be violent and don't hang around people who are violent. Or uh, Proverbs 10.2, Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Well, what does that mean? Well, show integrity in your business dealings. Don't cheat people. Like, it's pretty straightforward stuff. Or Proverbs 19.15, Laziness casts into a deep sleep. And an idle man will suffer hunger. Well, don't be lazy. Work hard. The, like, Proverbs aren't easy, aren't hard to understand. There's no, um, for the most part, I mean, there's some that are a little bit trickier, but for the most part, most of the Proverbs in, in this book are, are pretty straightforward and pretty easy. But the book is kind of easy and yet hard because even though they're easy to understand, um, they're really hard to apply to our lives at, time, at times, aren't they? And so, uh, you know, we have all sorts of obstacles, both internally and externally, that kind of um, pull at us and prevent us from living out the kind of teaching that the book of Proverbs is asking us to live. And so it's easy on the one hand, we understand what it's saying, but it's hard on the other because we have to live that, and that's tough. And we can't hide behind, oh, this, you know, obscure passage is hard to understand. We can't say, well, it probably doesn't apply to us. No, we know what it's saying. It's a matter of living that. And so it's kind of this easy yet hard. And, and um, Proverbs has a number of themes and a number of uh, areas that it seems to focus on. And I think depending on who you are, you struggle with different themes or different areas, probably more than others. And so, for instance, if you um, struggle with gossip and you read a verse like, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with the gossip. And in chapter 20, verse 19, you kind of feel this... <laughs> Stain, this pain in your heart, you're like, yeah, that's me, right? And, and so there's all sorts of these uh, verses like this in, in, in the book that talk very specifically about these problems that we have as humans. And so whether it's gossip or, or laziness or being critical or judgmental or cheating or lying or boasting or bragging, the book covers a lot of this stuff, Right? And so there's a lot of application. There's no shortage of application from the book of Proverbs. And some of these definitely get me more than others. But there's, there's one that I want to look at this morning that um, I think is really important. And I think it's probably uh, like fundamental to all the other ones. And, uh, and I know for me this is a huge issue. Uh, and, and when I um, read these verses, when I come across them in Scripture, it gives me that kind of that, that, 
that uh, real conv- sense of conviction, you know, that this is something I need to be paying attention to. And, and that's the question of uh, teachability. How teachable are you? How well do you respond to correction? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and for me, this is one of my greatest struggles. And if you've ever talked to my parents or my wife, you would know that this is an ongoing issue. Um, I was listening to a sermon last year. Uh, it was a series called Wisdom for Life out of uh, Mosaic Church in Los Angeles. How many of you have heard of Mosaic Church in Los Angeles? Yeah, a couple of you. And uh, the pastor is Erwin McManus, and then he has another pastor, Hank Fortner. And Hank was the one who was speaking on this particular Sunday. And it was a message called Teachability. And pretty good message. And I was running while I was listening to this, and I found myself stopping every couple uh, hundred, well, every mile or so, and just being like, oh, yeah, that really applies to me. Oh, you know, this, what he's saying here is just straight to the heart kind of thing. And, and this whole series, I encourage you to go online and listen to it, because it just offers um, just really practical, down-to-earth wisdom. It's simple stuff. It's called Wisdom for Life. Yeah, but it was a, a message that just had so much um, substance to it. And so I say this idea of teachability, how teachable are you, is fundamental is because all the other stuff comes from that. Being challenged to not gossip, being challenged in our deceptive ways, and, and all these things depends on how well we receive correction, doesn't it? And so that's why... Um, I want to look at this. In this sermon, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I, I liked a lot of what it said, and I, and I find the, the value of it worth repeating. I find it so valuable that a lot of the stuff was, that was said is worth repeating. And so if you go ahead and listen to that sermon online, you'll be like, oh, that's what Stephen said. And he didn't give any credit to them. But I am giving you credit right now. So um, anyway, so when we talk about teachability, when we talk about how teachable we are, uh, we're essentially asking the question, how well do you respond to correction? And for me, and I'm sure for most of us, there's this tendency that we only listen to correction, or we usually listen to correction from those who we know care about ourselves, who, who we know care about us, right? Um, those people that we know are invested in us, who love us, who we have a relationship with, a positive relationship with, we're very much more inclined to listen to them than we are most other people. And so if you're at work uh, and a coworker comes up to you and gives you feedback and says, you know, you can be really critical sometimes, your immediate response is to say, yeah, okay, thanks. And then you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to go back and check that with someone who I know cares about me, right? And so you go home and you ask your wife, honey, am I critical? And then she tells you, you are. Okay, and, that, and that's how that goes. But there's this immediate response to people in our world that uh, we're more willing to listen to those who we know care about us. And so what happens is there's this circle that we end up making, a circle of this group of people over here who we're willing to let them speak into our lives. We're willing to let them offer correction it's going to be hard, but we're more willing to. And then there's these other people over here who maybe we don't know very well, or maybe they're strangers, or maybe they have a gripe against us, or maybe they, you know, have had this, uh, there's this bone of contention between us or whatever. Whatever it is, I'm not willing to listen to what they have to say to me. Well, that's problematic in many ways. And um, I guess when people who I don't like or people who don't like me, who are not invested in me, 
um, give me feedback or they offer correction in my life, I tend to reject them. I don't know if you do the same. And of course, there's value in listening to those people who do love you, who, do, who are invested in you. If you have a mentor that you meet with, well, the nature of that relationship, of course, is to, to learn, right? And so when they offer correction to your life, that person is invested in you. They love you. They want to see you succeed. They want to see you do well. And so, of course, they're going to um, offer correction. And of course, you should be listening to that. that. That's great. But what about everyone else? What about, what about those people that we don't jive with? and that we don't agree with. Well, if we only listen to a certain group of people who tend to agree with what we already agree with, who tend to think that I'm just as, I'm good enough just the way I am, or I don't need to change, then we don't get stretched and we don't change. We don't stand correct. It's like the Christian who only hangs around with, um, you know, people who think the same, who are other Christians who think the same way as them, who read the same authors, who go to the same denomination, uh, kind of church, right? Who are part of the same denomination. So, oh, you read, you know, you read John Piper? You're reformed leaning? Or you're charismatic? Or you're Pentecostal? Well, we probably don't have a lot in common. I probably don't need to be hanging out with you because we're not going to offer much to each other. But think about what that does to you in, in, in the things that you believe as a Christian, for instance. You hang around people that only read N.T. Wright or only read you know, a certain set of authors or whatever, then you're never going to be challenged to think beyond that scope, beyond that mentality. And, and in life in general, when we do this, it actually makes us dumber. It's true. When we only hang around people that we agree with that aren't really going to offer a lot of correction to us because they like us the way we are, it's going to make us dumber. That's what the Bible says. Let's read in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever, do we have any of the verses up? Oh, there we go. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. If you hate correction, you're stupid. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> if you're not being, if you're not into being corrected, if you stand against that, if you're not into sharpening, being sharpened as iron sharpens iron, and we read that in chapter uh, 27, 17, if you're not into that, then the Bible says you're stupid. Like I said, the Bible, the Proverbs are pretty easy to understand in this regard, aren't they? There's no beating around the bush here as to what it means. If you hate correction, the Bible says you're stupid. Or um, chapter 13, verse 18. Whoever disregards discipline loves knowledge. Wait, sorry. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. This is 13, 18. But whoever heeds correction is honored. If you neglect correction, if you're not willing to be taught something, you'll eventually come to ruin. But if you're willing to receive it, you're going to be honored. You like honor. You love honor. Or 15.10, Proverbs 15.10. Stern discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. If you hate correction, you will die. If you resist correction, it will eventually kill you. Proverbs 15.32, a few, a few verses later. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. This is if you don't like discipline, if you don't like being corrected, you despise yourself. Those are strong words. 
And so all these passages, and there are lots of passages in the, in the book of Proverbs. In fact, um, I would say there's more about receiving wisdom and receiving correction than probably anything else, and that's just a guess. But there is so much, so many verses like this in, script, in, in the book of Proverbs. But they all seem to suggest that we are to take a particular posture toward correction. That if you love correction, if you love correction, then you love life, and you love knowledge, and you love honor, you love wisdom. These things all lead to wisdom. If you hate correction, then you hate life. You reject honor. You don't like honor. You despise yourself. You hate yourself if you hate wisdom, or if you hate correction. And so, my nature, and I assume most of us in this room, have a tendency to hate correction. Raise your hand if you love looking for rebuke. Right. None of us do, except one guy in the back. (laughs) Um, But most of us hate correction, don't we? Yeah. And we learn this stance, this position or posture toward correction from a young age. I mean, from a kid, from a toddler, we learn how to avoid correction. We learn how to work around it. There's no way that there's only 10 minutes left. That's terrifying. That's okay. Um, but yeah, we, we do this from a young age. When I was a kid, I'll tell you one story. I mean, there are a gazillion stories of how I did this, but I always sought to find ways around correction. I was in grade one and I brought a transformer uh, toy to school against my parents' um, wisdom. They said, do not bring this toy to school. I don't remember what the rationale was, but they said, you are not allowed to bring it to school. I snuck it to school. My brother Mike ratted on me. And of course, my parents believed my brother. So they said, Stephen, I was six years old. Did you take this toy to school? I said, no, because I didn't want to be corrected. I hid from that. And they said, are you sure? You can come clean or you'll get a spank. No, I I didn't do it. Spank. (laughs) Well, then they said, here's another chance. Did you take this toy to school? No, I didn't. Spank. I was also extremely stubborn. This went on a lot longer. I won't tell you how long because you'll probably call social services (laughs) on my parents. But eventually they called my friend Adam and they said, Adam, who was in my class, did Stephen take his transformer to school? Adam said, yeah, he was there. He brought it to show and tell. He showed the whole class. And I said, Mom, he's lying. <laughs> and then, they, and then um, they spanked me a few more times. They sent me to my room. And ironically, in my quest to avoid correction, I went through the very hard road of being corrected uh, for lying. And so, but we do that as kids, right? And then we learn that as we, go old, as we get older, we learn how to avoid correction. And so for a kid, it's like, oh, we need to avoid spanks. We need to avoid getting in trouble. But then as adults, it's, it's um, a punch to our pride. We can't handle, our, our egos are so sensitive, we can't handle that kind of, um, you, you know, uh, that, that kind of trouble. And so we do what we can to avoid correction. But... Scripture seem to be saying here that if we love correction, if we can develop this posture toward it that says, yeah, I'm willing to embrace it, I'm willing to pursue correction and to embrace it and accept it for what it is, then we will respond differently. You know, because 
it's very counterintuitive. As I said, we don't go out of our way looking for correction. We don't see people walking around saying, oh, I love to be rebuked. I love to be disciplined. That's not something we do. But the radical nature of Scripture is to say that, yeah, actually, we should be doing that. The Bible actually says, these Proverbs actually say, yeah, we should be going out of our way to do that. And so, if we were to have that kind of posture toward correction, there's going to be a couple of implications. And this is what happens. When we do that, when we look for correction, go out of our way to look for it, we end up seeing not the source of the correction, but what is being said. It gives us the power to look past who's saying it. Remember I said at the beginning that we have this tendency, or at least I do, to look at the source and then go and check with someone who I know loves and cares about me. But if it's something that is being said and I love correction, then I'm actually going to be able to look past who is saying it and I'm going to be able to just hold that and say, okay, this person who I know has, is bitter toward me or I know resents me, he's saying I struggle with um, you know, being critical or, or he says I, I struggle with uh, being sensitive to others or something. I can separate myself from that person because I actually love being corrected. And I can go and I can pursue that correction. And when we do that, we show that we love life, that we love learning. And all this stuff leads to wisdom. We become wiser. And a lot of us have this thought that if you're young and impressionable, if you're a young punk, you don't have anything to teach anyone, right? I'm not going to listen to you if you're young. Or we say, if you're old and you got gray hair, then you're out of, you're out of the times, you're you know, beyond your expiration date, I don't have anything to listen, uh, I don't have anything to hear um, what you're saying. And so we dismiss them. Or we, we're at work in our office and somebody who's new comes into our office and says, you know, you're doing this job, uh, you should be doing it dif- differently. And so we're like, who are you? You're just off the street. You know, we don't want to listen to that, right? Or, uh, or somebody, like I said, who we don't like, somebody who, know, who we know has a resentment against us. They come and they offer us some sort of criticism, some sort of um, learning opportunity, and automatically we think, oh, this person is just out to do me in. He's trying to, you know, we, whatever. We come up with these excuses to why we shouldn't be listening to this person. And so that's how it goes, but... Someone who loves correction, someone who goes out of their way and has this positive posture toward discipline is able to look at the young punk, who's able to look at the older person, who's able to look at that co-worker or that enemy and say, you know what, I can look past that because what you're saying has value. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that we listen to everything that someone says to us. That's actually doing a disservice to wisdom. But when we can look at, and and this takes maturity, when we can get that maturity and we can actually look at the content of what is being challenged to us, what is being said about our character, what is being said about who we are, and we can separate ourselves from that, then we have matured to a position of um, loving correction. Then we are able to change. We're able to move on from there. And And I think that's a real sign of maturity. But then... Being a lover of correction doesn't mean just we don't disregard who, um, who says it, but then we also regard when it's said. And so, and I'll quickly do this because I know my time's done, but um, so it's not just who, it's when. And so there's this um, idea that as adults especially, we only learn in, in 
crisis situations, that we're only willing to receive correction when our back's against the wall, when we have nowhere else to turn, we're at the bottom of the barrel, and we have, you know, no other way to go except to listen to whatever's being taught to us, whatever someone has to say. But if you love correction, you don't care about the situation you're in. You're willing to receive it at the valleys of life as well as the mountaintops. Um, when I was, you know, this is true for teenagers especially. When I was a teen, um, I was a tough teen. And I struggled a lot uh, listening to my parents. And no matter what, if you ever meet my mom and dad, give them a hug. Uh, they deserve it. But no matter what seemed to be said to me, it would go in one ear and out the other. I think this is like a condition of all teens. Um, but, and so it, nothing could be taught to me because I knew it all, right? Not that the teenagers in our church are like that. I know you're not. But a lot of teens are like that. I was one of them. And then what would happen is I would get into some kind of teenage crisis. Uh, I remember I dated a girl behind my parents' back. You don't do that in my household. And my parents had all, you know, instructed me, don't date until you're out of the household or whatever. And I said, you know what? That's cool. And then I went behind their back and I did it anyway. And it was all great and everything was wonderful. And then uh, she breaks up with me. And of course you have this like first love and then you first heartbreak and it's just, ah, your world falls apart because that's what happens at that age. Um, and so who do you turn to but mom? Because mom loves you and you know that you're willing to receive correction from her at that point. And, and so then she's able to say, you know what, Stephen? This is why we had this rule and blah, blah, blah. And now you're more willing to listen to what she has to say. And that, so that happens as a teenager. But if you love, if you love discipline, which is crazy. If you love discipline, if you go out of your way and actually want to learn and become better as followers of Christ especially, if that's something that's prompting you, then the situation you're in isn't going to matter as much, is it? Right? Um, Let me just skip a little bit here. Yeah, think about uh, if you're married. Think about how this posture toward correction could improve your marriage a million times fold, a million times over. You know, because sometimes it's difficult to receive criticism from your spouse, even though you know it's coming from the person you love more than anyone else, even though it's coming from uh, a place of purity, there's no ill intent. It's still sometimes pretty hard to receive criticism from your partner, right? And yet... If you had a posture of love, or of love toward the, the correction, toward being disciplined, as the Bible seems to suggest we need to do, then in that moment where, you know, your back's against the wall and your wife is chewing you out for doing this or that, or you're chewing out your husband for this or that, um, or you're, you're, whatever, you're chewing out, whatever. I'm not being, okay. <laughs> when you're in that moment... Instead of launching like a giant world war between the two of you, you're able to say, you know what, I can step back from this and I can say, yeah, this is something I need to work on. How will that change marriages? Think about that posture in our marriages within the church. I mean, that is, that is amazing but it's, and it's radical. And it's possible, but it's not possible without hard work. And even just saying that, giving you an example of marriage terrifies me because my wife is in the crowd and so she's going to know that when I go home today and we start getting into some kind of disagreement, she's going to be like, but I'm only offering you this because 
I know you love correction, Stephen. And so now I have to swallow that, right? And I have to live that. And it's true. I mean, it's comical, but it's true. And that's why I hesitate. And I hesitate to give that example. Or, or think about your kids um, and how you can learn from your kids. If you have a disposition that says, I love being corrected. My four-year-old can teach me so much. You know, he, on one hand, might say, you know, I need more ice cream, and this time put a gummy worm on top. But I don't need to listen to everything he says. But I know that sometimes he's going to say something like, Dad, don't yell at me so much. Oh, okay. I know that there's value in listening to what you have to say now. You're four years old, but you're telling me that I need to have more patience with you. Right? Or, um, Dad, spend more time with me. You're right. My agenda can be put on hold because I do need to spend more time. There's value in that. So um, there's a saying that we all know that we learn more from our kids than our kids have ever learned from us. And I read a blog a couple months ago from a guy, maybe you've heard of him, Donald Miller. I don't know if you've ever read him. <laughs> it's not a sermon for me if I don't mention him, right? But he talked about the, the message of the blog was um, highly effective kids Something like this. Highly effective kids do this, or have parents who do this very well. And what is it that they do very well? They show vulnerability to their kids. They show a, a willingness to learn from their kids. If you show that toward your children, you're going to have a pretty ridiculously awesome relationship with them because kids are looking for a vulnerable parent. And, uh, and so some of us grow up with parents that don't do that, that have this kind of whatever we say is law, you just listen to it and you know, you don't ask questions kind of thing. And often we see those kind of relationships rocky as they get on uh, into adulthood. But a relationship that's based on vulnerability and humility between you and your kid, that has power. And that comes from having a disposition that says, I love being corrected. I'm willing to be corrected, not just from old people or not just from, you know, people who have been in the job, but from my own kids who are 30 years younger than me. I'm willing to do that. Well, we are <coughs> out of time, but I just want to go through these one more time because I think reading Scripture is good. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Proverbs thirteen eighteen. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Stern discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. If you hate correction, you will die. That's the ultimate reality that's going to come of that. And then the, Proverbs 15.32, Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. So I ask that we would have an attitude, or at least the willingness to ask God to help us become empowered, or become um, I don't know, maybe change our stance toward being corrected. That's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for all of us. Let's pray, and then uh, Matt and the gang can come up here and, and close the song. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Proverbs that are written so long ago, and yet have so much application to our lives today. We have so much to learn from them, Father. Um, and this morning we looked at just the willingness to be corrected, and that means being corrected not just from people, but through your word as well. And uh, we realize, God, that um, every page of Scripture has something that can challenge how we live and to make us live de differently and live better and more aligned with uh, the call of Christ, the way that Christ has um, set his example on this earth for us. 
So I pray, God, that we would change our posture, Lord, that we would lean into correction, that we would have a positive aspect, a positive attitude toward it, to not regard so much the source or not regard the circumstance we're in, but, Father, to be able to uh, pursue correction, to pursue learning, regardless of our circumstance. And, uh, God, it's only through hard work and, and through your Spirit's power in our lives that that can be possible. So we ask that we invite that in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.